This message is from our friends at Cloud Forecast. Are there any unpleasant surprises with your latest Amazon Web Services invoice? Cloud Forecast helps companies monitor and eliminate wasted costs in AWS without draining engineering time and resources. For a limited time, they are offering an extended 60-day free trial. Sign up to use the product today at cloudforecast.io and email hello at cloudforecast.io to redeem the extended trial. Save money today by monitoring and eliminating wasted costs in AWS without significant engineering time and resources by using Cloud Forecast today. It's hard to put into words, but there's there's something magical about when you hear the story of your loved one and you hear things you've never heard about them before. We live in a country where you know we know a lot about celebrities and historical figures, but we don't tend to know those that level of detail about our own family. And so one of the really interesting things about Saga is that you know you can create memories today that will create a, a family legacy for your family into the future. Which, which to me is this really awesome idea um, and something I'm very proud to be working on. My name is Andrew Overton. I'm CTO and co-founder at Saga. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today, how Andrew Overton built a solution to record the stories of your loved ones, all in synced audio. All this and more on Code Story. Andrew Overton spent three years in investment banking before jumping ship to work in tech. He joined a company called Graphic in Santa Barbara to learn the ropes and during that time, got a master's in CS from Johns Hopkins. Married to his wife, Jessica, he is a family-centered dude looking up to both his brother and parents. And outside of tech, he loves to read and practice jujitsu to blow off steam and practice thinking a few moves ahead. During his career, he had the idea of saving his own family's story somehow. In 2019, he committed to making progress and validating the idea, and it was at this point where he connected with his co-founder, Amelia Lin. And they set off to create a robust product to capture stories from your loved one. This is the creation story of Saga. So Saga helps people to record the life stories of their loved ones on audio. So each week we send your loved ones a new question. And we focused on making it very accessible. So you can call in with any telephone to record your answer. Or you can also... Uh, use our app or the website to record your answers there. After the story is recorded, it's shared privately with everyone who's joined your, what we call channels. You could have multiple channels if you want to share uh, different stories with different groups of people. And then after the story is recorded to that channel, you can listen to it uh, and discuss it with your loved ones. So the way I got started working on this is, I actually have just been thinking about saving the story of my own family for a while. And I dragged my feet on it. Uh, and then I finally said, you know what? My New Year's resolution is going to be, I'm going to actually make progress on this this year. And so I started working on it. And in the process of working on it, I discovered that other people uh, could actually use this as well. And so then I decided maybe this is something I should do as more than just a 
a personal project. As I started exploring that more and, and thinking about like how I would do it and, and all that different stuff, I actually got connected to Amelia, who's my co-founder, who a, who a mutual friend basically said, hey, I know someone else who's also working on this same idea. It's like an oddly specific idea, so I think you two should meet. Uh, and so Amelia and I met and it was, uh, you know, immediately I was like, hey, this is a person who's really smart. I've also thought about this problem a lot. We're kind of aligned on vision in terms of being very passionate about this and, and how it can help people. And so, uh, yeah, after that, the rest is history. Tell me about the MVP. So tell me about that first product you built and how long it took to build and what sort of tools you used to make it come to life. So hats off to my co-founder Amelia here. She was really smart about developing this. She actually, the first, the, the MVP was a no-code product. So within two weeks of starting on it, we had a product that was built with Google Docs, YouTube, Calendly, um, and an app for recording phone calls. So, you know, very common stuff that everyone's familiar with. The initial process was Amelia would have a phone call with, with the person who's recording a story and recorded on her phone. She then converted into a video file so she could upload it to YouTube. Uh, YouTube would, would automatically uh, transcribe it um, and like add captions. And then she'd download that file with the captions and send the person their, their audio file as well as a transcription of, the, of their story. So this whole process took about 24 hours and didn't scale very well, but it only took two weeks to get set up and it was a great way to validate the business. That's really interesting. So it was a no code solution. Where did you take it from there? You proved the concept, obviously you and Amelia proved the concept with the no code solution. Where did you take it from that point, from a product standpoint, from a robust offering of a software standpoint? We took a few more um, incremental steps from there. So there was actually another team member at that time, and he's a current advisor of ours. Uh, and he, he actually built the first, the very, very first version of the, of the code prototype. There was one more piece of technology that was, that was in that initial no code prototype, which is a service called VidHub, which is, I think it's, it's designed for teams within corporations to collaborate on videos. And so you can, you can get user accounts and there's commenting like timestamps comments. And so that was actually how we ultimately let people listen to the, the video or to the audio. And so the first code prototype was actually to replace that and to kind of replicate the functionality that was available there because that was not designed for our use case. Uh, there was a number of limitations to actually getting more families onto it. And so we started building that code prototype. That was also about like, how quickly can we just get this up and running uh, with, with minimal effort? Uh, at that time, there's there no full-time engineer working on this. And so we had to balance like getting something that worked with, you know, working on this in, on nights and weekends. And so that, that prototype took about, or that MVP took about three months to build. Uh, it was built on Django and uh, React. Interesting. So as you went through that process, you know, you probably had to make 
you know, decisions about what, you know, what trade-offs you're going to make in the short term to make this three-month time frame happen, right? How did you cope with those decisions? And, and give me a little more detail into those decisions that you had to make. At that stage, I think it's about aggressively prioritizing and trying to cut scope. You know, when you have limited engineering hours, you know, you, you can't tackle everything. You have to be, you have to be very um, kind of conservative about your time. And so, the nice thing was having VidHub, having the service that that was already built, helped us to understand some of like the core functionality that was needed to give people the experience we were looking for. You know, it, it wasn't perfect, but it was it was that core experience. And so initially, it was like looking at that and and taking the key parts of that that we that we needed to start to have like the foundation where we could have everyone running on our platform, and then from there we could we could build out. So I think that was that was a big decision. Uh, another part of that was being very very pragmatic about what we were going to automate and what we were going to do manually. There was a number of things which uh, the early users probably thought were automated, but funnily enough, were actually Amelia's mom uh, behind the scenes uh, helping us to get things done, uh, sending notifications and stuff like that, and so. I think that was a big decision where as an engineer, my first instinct would be to actually automate things because you're like, I don't like doing things twice. You know, the, you know, this is why computers exist, but with limited resources, automating, automating everything can actually take more time. And if you can rely on your friends and family, you know, you may be able to get further than you otherwise would have gotten. I like that. So it's kind of unconstrained models. You run and not automate things until you know exactly what you need to automate. You use manual steps to get things done in the interim while you're trying to build out your product. So talk to me about your roadmap. You know, part of this, how do you build your roadmap and decide, you and Amelia, put your heads together and decide what's going to be next? Initially, we didn't really have a great model for this. The, uh, the first way we approached it was, okay, let's break things up into like quarters. And let's say like during this quarter, we're gonna try to get this, this functionality built. And then this next quarter, we're gonna get this built. And that was our, our first cut at it. That wasn't the best cut. So then we, we went back to the drawing board a bit. We looked at it from the perspective of versions of the product. So what is what does the V1 product need to contain for us to be happy putting this out into the, into the broader market? What are some features that we want down the line that we think are going to be important for for the product, but you know aren't core to the initial experience, um, and we can push those into later phases. And we focused a lot on really defining what the V1 product was. And I think the way the way we actually went about that was we had a marathon uh, week long planning session where uh, Amelia uh, and one of our um, other team members, Lizzie. We all sat in a room and we really like went through like what is what is core of this experience? What do we need to deliver to get people um, to have this you know have this magical experience of hearing their family stories? And then once we had that, uh, we were able to put that into into a roadmap based on you know the various phases of the product. We'll switch gears a little bit from the roadmap. Tell me about the team. So I know about you and Amelia, but tell me how how you build your team. What do you look for in the people that you work with? 
um, to determine that they're the winning horses to join Saga? So the team right now is, besides myself and Amelia, is Sumeda, who's a, a full-time designer we just hired. She'll be starting next week. And then we have an engineer who I mentioned before, Lizzie. And the, I think one of the big things that we look for is someone who actually cares about people. Um, there's like a human element to them. Given that our business you know, is about kind of the human experience, it's really important that the people we hire think about things in that way. So I think that's a big thing we try to we try to screen for. Uh, we're also always looking for people who are who are smart, right? And you know, smart's a it's a very general term, but I think people who who kind of have that growth mindset, where not only not only like have they have they shown that they've been able to achieve things up until now, but that they 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 show a scrappiness and an ability to continue learning, because. You know, frankly, we're, we're all there's there, there's a lot of stuff that we don't know throughout this process, and so it's critical that we have people who can grow with the team and and basically be flexible enough to to learn the things that that need to get executed on. We do care about like building a team that is that is inclusive. We actually, I think, this is pretty uncommon for for Silicon Valley. You know, of our team of four full time people, three of them are women, a bit opposite to what you might normally see. Myself, I'm I'm actually African American, and so that's pretty unusual among funded founders. And and you know, given given my experience working in um, industries like finance, which have historically not been that inclusive, I, d- I do try to like take the things that I that I've seen from there about like how they've how industries have tried to expand their hiring practices to be more inclusive and incorporate that into you know making sure that we're looking in a, in a variety of different places. Um, for new team members, let's let's switch gears again. So let's talk about a little bit more tech. Tell me about scalability. So the first solution was a no code solution, obviously not real scalable. You built a a second MVP or a second coded version. How did you factor in scalability or not in the in the early days of the product, and how are you factoring it into the future? This is always a question we've thought a lot about because of the manual process we took on early on. The we've always had an eye on like what is what is the limiting factor of the business? Like like if we were going to add a thousand people, what would stop us from doing that? And and definitely early on, it was the manual processes. Early on, we were okay with that because the way we went about developing the product was let's focus on this core set of families that we that we have on the platform and try to iterate a bit with them to, to understand the, the problem that we're solving better before we move on to a broader group of people. And so with that in mind, we didn't focus that much on scalability initially. The, the whole application, database, uh, you know, Redis server, the application, we're all running on a single like, you know, tiny Linode server. Uh, so from a scalability perspective, it's pretty much non-existent. Once we got into the position where we were, we felt good about what we were building and we set our sights on building towards our general public release, uh, I thought it was important to make sure that we we were prepared to scale so that we weren't kind of caught in a position where, where we needed to scale and it was just going to be a ton of work to make that happen. So between then and now, we, we migrated over to AWS and we've, we've set the the architecture up so that such that we can scale it without too much work in the future, 
Although we haven't put a ton of work into that at the moment because we think we're in a place now where, where we can scale very easily if we need to. So we're running the application on, on Amazon ECS, which makes it pretty easy to add additional instances of the, of the stateless application. One of the big things for me is we moved our, our database into RDS, which gives us the, the security or the safety of knowing that like it's backed up and you know there's no there's no bugs in the backup code i've seen uh what happens when you build your own backups uh, it requires a lot of testing to make sure things are actually working and that you can actually restore from those when it, when, when that time comes and so that peace of mind has been awesome i like that so you you're essentially you move to aws you're growing with your growth so you set up your you know i think you said ecs or ec2 or whatever whatever the um the offering that you used um, you set it up to where you can scale it when you need to, um, which I assume, you know, at some point you may set auto thresholds for CPU and, and RAM and all of that stuff. But right now you don't really need to. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And I guess the other thing I would add is we did, we talked to folks about this as we were making the decision. We considered, should we just run on something like Heroku? And, you know, the, the feedback we got was either decision is probably fine. If you need to get it done right now, you should probably just use something like Heroku because it's it's just going to be much more plug and play. AWS AWS will you know grow with you in the future, but it is going to take a little a little longer to set up, and that is what we found. You know, for the most part, the AWS stuff was easy to set up, but you know we hit various you know network misconfigurations here and there, which took time to resolve. But it was okay because we basically did it. We stretched it out over time, and so when we finally needed it, or when we finally wanted to move over to that system, we had knocked out all the bugs, but it definitely took us longer than if we were going to just kind of use an out of the box solution. So as you step out on the balcony and look across what you've built thus far, what are you most proud of? To be honest, just the product itself. Uh, so I'm using the product, all the, all the, all the people at the company are users, users of the product. And it's hard to put into words, but there's there's something magical about when you hear the story of your loved one and you hear things you've never heard about them before. It just it's just, it's just a sense of joy within you. And so being able to provide that to people is really amazing. And it's something that I feel very, very proud of, that I'm making the world better, uh, not just for people who are living today, but also you know for future generations. We live in a country where we... You know, we know a lot about celebrities and historical figures, but we don't tend to know those that level of detail about our own family. And so one of the really interesting things about Saga is that, you know, you can create memories today that will create a, a family legacy for your family into the future, which, which to me is this really awesome idea um, and something I'm very proud to be working on. Let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake that you made and how you and your team responded to it. We've made a lot of mistakes because we are all fairly new to this. Thankfully, we haven't made too many mistakes that have been uh, tr truly disastrous because we've, we've relied a lot on those around us um, for feedback and help. One mistake I'll tell you about is related to the, the AWS migration. I guess it's the AWS migration and the kind of, we'll call it moving from V0 to V1 of the product. 
we decided to split the code base and have like a legacy version of the code base and then a you know new version of the code base and the plan was to kind of leave the legacy version uh mostly static and then develop the new version and then do a cutover to the new version um, and kind of have everyone see this like new this new beautiful application that quickly turned out to be a bad idea as much as we wanted to leave the old application static there were just things that came up which which needed to be pulled over there so we were then in a situation where we had to you know pull commits from one side to the other side and try to keep things in sync the data model started getting tricky but that's where we kind of relied on the people around us and so so Amelia's partner uh Kier is actually one of our advisors and he's a great engineer and we talked to him about what we were doing and he basically shared his experience about what he'd seen and why why he thought that this was not going to work out um ever and even though it was you know a bit of like oh well i made this decision and you know i think it's the right one i actually stopped and really listened to what he was saying and listened to his his experiences and realized that he was right and that we should we should backtrack his decision um and so thankfully it didn't cause it didn't cause too many issues but um it was it was a bit of a mistake we made so what does the future look like for saga for the product and for the team on the people side uh we're looking to hire another engineer uh it's kind of a journalist engineer so looking forward to to just finding another great person to add to the team uh our iOS app is coming out soon uh which is going to be a big milestone we're really excited about that once we release that we're going to have to juggle a few priorities i'm sure we'll get a ton of feedback on on the iOS app and then we're also going to need to figure out like how do we keep the iOS app in sync with the with the mobile property that we're also supporting because we know not everyone may have a smartphone or that sort of situation. Uh we also need to think about how do we expand to Android because there are a lot of people who who use Android as well as a platform. So we we've built our our app on on React Native. That was a strategic decision we made basically with the with the aim of of supporting multiple different clients um while minimizing the amount of work. So we we know it's not going to be like a right a right once run everywhere situation, but we we are hoping that maybe each additional platform is only 25 to 50% more work. So, I think we've got a lot of a lot of engineering in our future to to kind of make it to make our platform accessible to everyone, but I think also on the product side, there's going to be a ton of learning as we open this up to a to a broader population of people. We're definitely going to be learning a lot about, you know, kind of what is really um resonating with people and and what might need to change a little bit. How can people find out about the product, find out more about the product, contact you, contact Amelia? Yeah, so you can go to trysaga.com to learn more about the product. There's a link there where you can you can sign up to to learn more about the product. Once we once we do release the iOS app and make it generally available, uh we'll be reaching out to everyone who's left their information through there. Amelia uh and me both of our email addresses are first name so amelia a m e l i a and then andrew a n d r e w at trysaga.com so we'd love to hear from you if you're interested in the product we actually one of the great things about working on this is we do get people uh, reach out to us who who just who say like i saw i found this product and i think it's amazing and you know i want to learn more about it can i work with you guys so 
we love to hear that. Uh, it's obviously very, um, very inspiring to hear other people fired up about something that, that you think is very important. So who influences the way that you work, Andrew, a CEO, CTO, architect, or really any person? Name a person you look up to and why. Well, Amelia is obviously a big influence on me. You know, we're partners in this. And so we're, we're constantly like discussing ideas with each other. We actually have like fairly different styles. So we don't tend to run on autopilot a lot. Like, like we, we discuss things with each other. Um, and kind of decide on the best way to move forward. So Amelia definitely has a big influence on on kind of how we get our work done. Uh, and then we have two great um, lead investors as well as advisors, a guy named Ben from Bling Capital and then Kyle from DCM. And we actually meet with them on a pretty regular basis. And they're just amazing about giving us very direct feedback that comes from a place of, uh, of experience. And so... That, that also helps to uh, set our direction and, and help us make decisions. So having, having people who, um, who are willing to give you honest feedback is, is invaluable in this process because the, the nice thing is everyone wants you to succeed when you're working on a startup, especially one that's, that's helping people. And so people can be very, uh, very supportive and nice, but sometimes you do need that, like, that real feedback about how you're doing and and whether or not uh, where you're going is is appropriate. Probably, probably the, the last thing I'd add is I do have, I have a buddy who I met actually in Latin class back in high school. Uh, his name is Jake, who's also been super helpful for me. He's gone through this process of being like a, a technical leader at, at a startup. He's a great person as well that that I you know I go to I seek advice from him. So a lot a lot of people have been very very helpful and helped me to figure out this this whole journey. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently or consider taking a different approach on? One area where we've, we've since changed how we've, we've done things and, and you know, I think we wish we had, we had learned earlier was around our product iteration strategy. So we were, we were all like really excited to build the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, because we could, like, we could see where the product was and we can see where we wanted it to be. And people were like the families that were on the platform were eager to, to try the new, to try new the new features and to basically like have more functionality in the product, and so we we're trying to get that to them as fast as possible. And we were we we're actually using them for a lot of the, the product iteration because they were they were the like the the demographic we were looking for. But uh, what that meant was that our ability to do iterations was slower than what, what we needed for for kind of like getting through the whole product. And so before we were kind of building things and and showing to people and then getting their feedback and then changing them, we were building things definitely quickly. But process we ultimately moved to was using tools like user testing and user Bob to actually just do like, honestly, like PowerPoint slides with our ideas on them and test it out that way. Uh, and and what that allowed us to do was iterate much, much more quickly on the user experience, which was honestly invaluable because the you know our pace of iteration was just too slow before to get everything that we needed to get done, done by the time where we needed it. You're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur uh, builder that's just created the next big thing. 
they're jazzed about it. They want to go show it off to the world. Uh, they think it's going to be a game changer. What advice do you give them as someone that's gone down this road a bit? I don't know if we've created the next big thing yet. I think we've got a little more time to go there. But I, I do I do think that uh, I think there's this this constant balance in in the world of startups of like the future versus the present. And I think that plays out across like a, a lot of different areas and figuring out how to balance that, I think is really important. You, you can't balance it on your own because you don't have the experience. If you're, if you're new to this, you have to rely on, on others who have who kind of have experience. Obviously your own, you know, your own intelligence, your own intuition is part of that, but, but you have to, you have to rely on others. You know, I'll, I'll give a very concrete example here. You know, the when we were raising funds back in um, in the fall, we initially started off with like a very low number, like five hundred thousand dollars. We talked to our investors, and they basically convinced us that a higher number than that was the was the right amount. As a seed level company, you know, as you increase the dollars, you're giving away like you know pretty large parts of the company, and 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 that's something you want to you want to balance because in the future you need to make sure that you have you have enough of the company to continue selling to grow the business. Our investors convinced us to take more money initially to kind of up our fundraising targets. And then after we started fundraising, we were actually very lucky to be uh, significantly oversubscribed for, for our seed round. And at that stage, our investors further convinced us like, hey, you know, this money's on the table. Maybe not take all of it, but take maybe more than you think because you never know what's going to happen. And so we had a lot of discussions about like whether or not that was the right thing to do. We ultimately did decide to to increase the amount that we that we accepted. Fast forward to now, we're in we're in the middle of the COVID nineteen crisis, and you know obviously the the funding markets have tightened a ton, and you know companies that may have been able to raise back when we were raising may not be able to do it now, and we also don't know when the end of this crisis is going to happen, and so that decision, um, influenced by by our advisors, helped us to. Be in a position now where we're, we're very comfortable from a capital perspective, and we can focus on growing the business, not on on scrambling to raise money to make sure that we can stay in business. So yeah, I think balancing the present and the past, and and using your advisors to, to do that is a critical uh, thing for for building like the next big thing. Well, that's great advice, Andrew. Well, thank you for being on Code Story. Thank you for telling the creation story of Saga. Thanks a bunch for having me. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code 